Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. I have so much inside of this morning I want to share. Um, but we were singing, you split the seas so I could walk right through them. My fears are drowned in perfect love. And I was thinking like, you know, that was one of the first things he did for the children of Israel as they come out of Egypt. They come out of Egypt, they're fleeing from, the, from this land that he's brought them out of, and as they're leaving there, they see his provision as the, the Egyptians chase them down and stuff money and gold in their pockets, and, and they, they, they walk away from a land that they never would have dreamed they could have walked out away from. And, and then they get partway away, and the Egyptians change their mind and decide they want their slaves back. And so they pursue them. And, and where God was leading them was straight to a place where there was an ocean in front of them, the Red Sea. And there was nowhere for them to go. And so as they're leaving Egypt and they're coming to this place, they get there and they realize that behind them are the Egyptians. They see the chariots coming. They see the army pursuing them. They understand that they didn't have weapons. They weren't allowed to own weapons in Egypt, which meant when they left, they didn't take any weapons with them. And so they're leaving and they understand we're in a place right now where we can't go anywhere. There's nothing, there's nowhere that we can go. We've come to the edge of this ocean. It's in the middle of a desert, this ocean is. It's just this dry desert that drops off into the Red Sea, if you've ever seen it. There's no trees there. There's no way to make boats. There's, there's none of that. And God brings them to that place and they say, God brought us here just to die. They, and I, I believe the reason why God brought them there right away, at, at first after leaving Egypt, is He wanted to establish this principle in them in the beginning so that they would have it established in their hearts and in their minds for the rest of their lives. And that was this, if you will just trust me, even when you don't see how, I will make a way. And so He brings them to this place. They can't make boats. They can't do it for themselves. If there was trees there, they would have tried to cut down trees and make boats and rafts and tried to go across. But God didn't want them to rely on their own strength, their own abilities, or their own logic and thinking and scheming. He brought them to a place literally where they're standing there and there's nothing but sand and water. And he says, Moses, I want you to raise up your staff. He's always got a man. Always. He always has somebody who when everybody else is panicking and saying God brought us here to die can hear his voice and say, wait a minute, no, he didn't. And he always requires something. You notice he wanted to give them water, but he said, Moses, you strike the stone. He wanted to part the seas, but he said, Moses, you raise your staff. He wanted them to be victorious in battle, but he said, Moses, you keep your arms up. And if you can't keep your arms up, have people come and hold your arms up for you because as long as your arms are up, the, the, I'll be with you and you'll defeat the enemy. There's always this, this partnership with him in this thing. But he brings them to this place and he's trying to instill in them something I think he would so desperately always, always wanted to instill into his people and even today wants to instill into his people. And that's this. If you're following me and you're doing what I've asked you to do, even when you stand in front of an ocean, there's no reason to fear because even if you don't see the way, I have a way. Trust me. Amen. And so Moses raises his staff up. The ocean parts. It must have been amazing to see. Like, think about it. You're the Israelites. Like, like you know, like, like 
if you've ever been watching like a movie or something like that, and there's like the bad guy, and then all of a sudden the hero comes onto the scene, and you know that, that feeling you get of like, yes, right? Like, it, it must have been like that times a million, because they literally think this is not something we're watching happen to other people. We are about to die. We're about to be killed by these people, or taken back into captivity, which means being slaves and then death. And all of a sudden, the ocean parts. And they pass through. But that wasn't enough. Their fears were drowned in perfect love. Because the same ocean that parted for them closed upon the people pursuing them. And I just so, I I just, I, I felt his heart on that so much that if we would just trust him, That if we would just be looking forward and trusting Him and being obedient to what He's called us to, that there may be things behind you. It's the truth. Like, the Egyptians were really there. It wasn't like turning around and saying, there's no chariots, made them disappear. They were really there. They were really coming. They were really more powerful. And they were really capable in, in human strength of taking them captive and bringing them back into Egypt. You know what? The things that you've left behind are coming after you and they probably really are there. And in the natural, some of them may be things that you don't see a way that you could defeat. It's okay. You don't have to figure out how to defeat them. He never called them to defeat the Egyptians. He called them to follow Him. And if they would follow Him, when He opens the sea up, the same sea that allowed them to pass through closed over the people that were pursuing them so that when they got to the other side and they looked back, what does it say in Psalms? It says, a thousand may fall at your left, ten thousand at your right, but it shall in no means touch you. You will only with your eyes look on and see the destruction of the wicked. All they had to do is sit back and watch as God took care of the problem that was behind them that they were incapable of taking care of. And I just feel like this for all of us, but especially for, for some of us in here today, those things that are behind you, they're real. He's realer. Amen. Faith isn't saying they're not behind me. Faith isn't denying the fact that there's things behind me. Faith is saying what's behind me is no match for the one who's in front of me. And I believe if He's called me here, that He has a plan. And I believe that if I'll continue to be obedient, one day I'll look back and realize, oh, they're gone. And that little pitter-patter of steps that I hear behind me is just His goodness and mercy because it follows me all the days of my life. I'm telling you, we've got, our thinking has got to change where we, when we hear something behind us, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and all these things, right? It only requires two things. What? He's my shepherd, which means I'm following Him, and I shall not, no, fear. A promise I shall not want. The requirement is, is I will not fear. So if I'm following Him and I'm not afraid, then the only thing that's following me is goodness and mercy that follows me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a promise. I have an expectation that if I hear something behind me, it's good and it's merciful, even if I don't know what it is. There was a day when I heard something behind me that it terrified me because there was things in my past that I thought were following me. Some of you know what I'm talking about. There's things in your past that you feel like have followed you from place to place and haunted you. And you've had this fear that one day they're going to overtake you. 
I'm telling you right now, you need to turn around. You need to see those things have been swallowed in perfect love. And the thing that's following you is His goodness and His mercy. And it's coming for you. Listen, when He wants you, this past week, about a month ago, I pulled into a Bilo parking lot in the morning. And I pulled in, and there's a car sitting here next to me, and I jumped out of the car. And as I jumped out of the car, I just happened to glance, and I see the driver flicking a bag of meth. He's got a straw on his lap, and he's flicking a bag of meth. And it, it caught me by total surprise, and I'm like, you know, it's like one of those things, you see it, and then you're thinking as you walk. I just saw a guy flicking, oh my gosh, I just saw a guy flicking a bag of meth. And I turn around to go back, and he takes off. And as he drove off, I thought, man, he kind of looks familiar, but, you know, I don't know that I know anybody that lives that way now and he pulled up to a stop sign and stopped again so I thought okay well maybe now's my chance and so I'm walking towards him and as I get close to the car he takes off again and I remember the car that he was driving and so I just was praying in the spirit you know and just I didn't know what to pray so I'm just praying God get him you know and I went home and told my wife about it and I talked to a couple of people and just shared that story with them and just said you should be praying you know and so that was maybe well that's probably two months ago maybe Somewhere around there. The other morning, I'm having breakfast with a friend, and all of a sudden, a name pops into my head. And I look at him and say, do you know blank blank? He says, yeah. I said, does he drive a such and such car? Yeah, why? I saw him the other morning. He was here. And this is what he was doing. Oh, man. Do you have his phone number? Yeah. I get his phone number, and I call him, and I say, hey, bro, this is, this is Roy from Outreach Church. I think you, you came to church a long time ago. Do you remember me? And he says, mm, vaguely. And uh, I said, hey, man, I'm calling you because I think I saw you the other morning. He said, really? I said, yeah, I saw you. You were actually sitting in your car, and you were flicking a bag of meth. He said, what? And I said, listen, before you say one more word, I just want you to know I'm not calling you up to tell you what you're doing is wrong. I'm not calling you up to condemn you, and I'm not calling you up for any other reason than I love you, and I believe God brought me there that morning so that I could see you doing that, and I could reach out to you and actually help you because I think you really want help. And he said, you remember this, right? (laughs) And so I said, he said, uh... I can't talk right now because I'm at work, but I just, I agree with you. (laughs) And I think you're right. And I said, well, call me when you can talk. He said, okay, I will. Well, he sent me a text later that night and said, hey, man, I don't want you to think I'm avoiding you. I'm just, I'm going to be working late. I probably won't be able to call you tonight. I said, that's okay, just whenever you get an opportunity. Well, the next day he didn't call me either. So we were driving home yesterday, and I put my signal on to pull into our road. Patty said, no, go get the kids food. I said, okay, where? She said, um, I don't know, they'd probably like Chick-fil-A or, or Panera. And I said, let's go to Chick-fil-A. We go to Chick-fil-A, order the food, pull around. I look in my mirror, he's behind me. <laughs> I lean out the window, hey, bro. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> I was just thinking I should call you. <laughs> I bet you were. <laughs> He said, I'm actually doing good. It's not quite what you think, but I believe that God is making all this happen for a reason. I said, I'm pretty sure too. (laughs) Why don't you call me? So we'll see. But this is the life. You can't make this stuff up. 
If you read through the Bible, there's so much in there that just is so far out of the realm of thinking of human possibility. There's talking donkeys. And we have somehow like taken the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we've sterilized Him and we've put Him off in this thing place where He would never do any of the things that we read about Him. It's a revelation of His character in nature. That's what the Bible is. It's, Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of the Father, the visible image of the unseen God. That's in your Bible. He's there to show us what the Father's like, and He's there to show us what life following Him yielded to the Spirit of God looks like. Not so that we have fairy tales we tell our children about who God used to be, but so that we actually have something inside of us that says that's who He is and who He will be. Because listen, every single... like, it, <laughs> I'm telling you. To sit back and just say, you know, if God wants it to happen, it will, is so far from biblical that I cannot imagine a few things that are less harmful and less biblical. And the amount of Him that we have in our lives and the things that we have in our lives, we play a huge and direct part in. Because Hebrews 11.6 says this. It says, what do you have that verse, Right? It was on the list, I think. If it wasn't, it should have been. Ah. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is. And, say and, because it's not just enough to believe that He is. James says, you believe in God? Good, the demons believe in Him and shudder. In other words, the demons believe in Him to a level that it causes a reaction in them. The demons Their belief in Him goes to a level greater than just I believe in God. It actually causes a reaction in them. They shudder. This is what James is saying. saying, listen, you believe in God? Well, that's good. Even the demons believe in God and shudder. Must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Some versions say diligently seek Him. That word seek there has an emphasis on it in the original language that is someone who is actually hard after Him. Not just casual, right? Remember Jesus walking through the marketplace? Power goes out of Him. Who touched me? Disciples. What do you mean who touched you? You're in a crowded marketplace. Who didn't touch you? No, no, no. Who touched me because I felt power go out of me? In other words, you could casually brush up against him all day long and nothing happens and you get nothing. But the one who actually grabbed a hold of him in faith, power flows out of him and she receives a healing that day because she actually went after him diligently. In other words, all those people in the crowd could have believed that he is God, believed in God, but the one who received was the one who diligently went after him. And so God's not a rewarder or a respecter of persons. And we've taken that to mean like, well, you know, no, listen. What that means is this. Every one of us has equal opportunity to go after Him and pursue Him for the things that He wants to give. It has nothing to do with God sovereignly in heaven just giving things to people because He likes the way that they look or because He just chooses them. It says He's the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. It says, then you will find Me when you... When you what? Seek me with what? All of your heart. 
And see, I, I, I honestly believe like God is calling His bride into this place of going after Him and believing that there's so much more that we can be walking in. And for us to sit back and say, well, if God wanted it, He would give it to me. Listen, God want, if God didn't want it, He wouldn't offer it to you. But He said, you have to come after it. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it will be opened. If you ask, it will be given. There's always a condition on our part. Now, it's only because He's good and because He loves us and because of the Spirit of God living inside of us that we can actually even pursue him but we still have to pursue him we still have to go after him he's a rewarder of those who casually seek him that doesn't even sound right diligently i don't want to have like people i know that have stories i don't want to teach my kids stories think about it when you were little you learned about jonah in the whale's belly you learned about daniel in the lion's den when did he stop being the god who shuts the mouth of lions and start being the god who's in heaven and doesn't care what's going on on earth i mean seriously like this isn't like a, a please don't take this at all as me being like critical i'm saying like this is exciting because if we actually believe that that's who he is we can start actually believing to see him do those kind of things in our lives remember jesus is talking to the man who brought the boy to him that was to be healed he said he said can you heal my son he said he said all things are possible if you believe he said he said if you're able heal my son he said if you're able all things are possible to him that believes. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. In other words, I, if I'm able is not the question. Jesus said it to him like incredulously. He said, if you're able? Like, in other words, like, you traveled all this way and you have a doubt in your mind about actually whether I'm able to heal your son or not? I don't believe that. I think you know that already. If you're able, no. If you believe. All things are possible to him that believes. That's Jesus. That's not a preacher who made that stuff up to have a theology. That's Jesus showing us the heart of the Father towards humanity. If you believe, you play a part in this. Yeah, it's the grace of God that allows you to play a part, but you still play a part. Well, I can do nothing without Him. Okay, good. We know that, and that's been firmly established. But Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So you're never without Him. That's not being prideful. That's actually believing what the Word of God says and then living as though it's true. Not like if I actually believe it and say it, it's somehow going to not become true because now I'm prideful. I can think of nothing more prideful than making up my own opinion and having it oppose the Word of God and holding that up higher than what Jesus actually said. I can think of nothing more prideful than that. Than exalting the knowledge of myself over the knowledge of God. Taking my Word over what His Word says. He said, and I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You're never going to be alone. So stop having to qualify it and say, well, I just can't do anything without him. Okay, awesome, good. That's why he doesn't ever want you to be without him because he knows that more than you do. And he's still committed to you doing things in the earth because you were saved, not by faith, not by grace, but by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. For he had prepared good works beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Like he has things that he really wants you to do that he prepared beforehand that you would walk in, but you have to walk in them. And I think one of the biggest, honestly, one of the biggest things that keeps us from this, well, I think there's two things. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach about them. Um, one is, I feel, I feel like God said this to me the other day, and I just wrote it down, so I'm just going to read this verbatim. Is In a culture of generosity, in a culture of gifting, one thing we have to be careful about is that we don't let the enemy come in and sow discord. As we grow and as God elevates people and blesses people, we have to guard our hearts and never let what we see in someone else keep us from going after something we don't see in ourselves. I really believe that as a church right now, as a body, and this, this is for, for us, but I'm sure it's for His bride universal, but I can only speak to the people that are here, that people are stepping daily more and more into who they are and who they were created to be. People are coming alive like I've never seen before. People are actually believing that there's something inside of them that God died so that they could have redeemed because He wanted that released into the earth. And people are coming alive. They're stepping into giftings. People are dreaming dreams, getting words for people, seeing people healed when they pray for them. Listen, all, again, I'm going to say it one time and then we're not going to say it again today. None of this is because those people, every bit of it is because God inside of them, but all of it is because they're actually believing and stepping out into what God's called them to. People are seeing these things happen. And I believe that the greatest, one of the greatest attacks that will come against that is people looking and seeing somebody walking in a level of something and rather than being encouraged that if God has given that to them, that if they go after it themselves, that He will give it to them, they get discouraged and they feel like that person received at my expense and because they got, I can't. And so what happens in that case is you start to despise not only the person who has it, but you'll despise the one who gave it to them without even realizing it. And bitterness and jealousy will start to set in and it will tear you apart. And it will hinder you from walking in what God has for you because you'll be so busy worried about what other people are walking in that you won't even be able to see the things He's placed inside of you. In... in um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul was writing. He said, brethren, I, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able to, for you're still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking as mere men? You're no longer a mere human being, a mere man. You are filled with the Spirit of God, born again, a new creation. Jealousy and strife is supposed to be something that is not a part of your life from that point forward, ever. James talks about it. James 4 says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your, pleasure, your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You realize that wanting what someone else had stirred up Murder in people all throughout the Bible. Cain sees what Abel has. The blessing that God's placed on Abel. And Satan rises up inside 
and he kills his brother. Saul, here's David returning from battle, and he hears the people singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And a murderous spirit rises up inside of Saul, and he pursues David and wants to kill him. David sees the battle as God's, stays humble. God sees, uh, da- uh, Saul sees the triumph as David's and gets jealous. When we don't recognize that what we see in people is from our Father, and we see it as them, or if we see it as, as being from the Father, but at our expense, in other words, you received because I didn't, it will cause an envy and a striving to, to rise up inside of us. And though we may not actually chase people from cave to cave looking to kill them, we will hate them in our hearts. And what Jesus said was, if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, you've already committed murder. That same murderous spirit that rose up inside of Saul will rise up inside of people. And instead of cheering and celebrating with people, we'll actually hope that they fail because if they fail, then we feel better about the fact that we haven't even tried. Why do you think David's brothers didn't want him to kill Goliath? Like, think about it. Naturally, if you'd been there for 40 days and this giant has come down into the valley every single day and said, send a man to fight me and if he defeats me, we will be your slaves. If somebody walked up and said, I will go kill him, you'd think you would be excited. But his own brother says, who are you? And who do you think you are? I know why you're here. David says, what have I done now? In other words, this is the response I always get from you. Every time I step into something with confidence, every time I declare what God will do, I have to deal with you. This wasn't the first time, I don't imagine, that David had been confident in God and his older brother had said, you're an impetulant youth. I know why you're doing this. Go home. Go back to those few sheep. He couldn't even speak well of the fact that David was a shepherd. He had to demean his job as a shepherd. Go back to those few sheep. Just to let him know, you don't even have a big flock. What is going on in his brother's heart? There's jealousy. He's envious. Why? Because he watched the prophet anoint David after he walked in front of the prophet and the prophet said, no, not this one. And rather than being thankful that his brother had been anointed king and that the favor of God rested on his life and that his father's household would be established on the throne forever. You understand, if your brother's king, you live in the castle If your brother is king, you actually enjoy all the benefits of being part of the royal family. Your father's household is blessed and set free from taxation for the rest of their lives. Your name is established. Your name is established. When people see you, they see the king because you are in covenant with him as a brother. But instead of seeing that, and instead of glorying in that, and instead of thanking God and praising God that he had chosen someone from his house, all he could see is God made him king because he didn't make me king. And because of that, he hated David and he didn't want to see David defeat Goliath. Why? Because nobody wants to see somebody do something that they said can't be done. They would rather you not try or rather see you fail if you're going to try than see you do something that they said couldn't be done. Because if you do it, then they have to ask themselves why they didn't. Because what did David say? He said, 
certainly God will deliver the head of this uncircumcised Philistine. What is David saying? He's saying, listen, he doesn't have a covenant with God. I do. There's no chance if I go and fight him that I lose. You know what the beautiful thing about that was? Every single person he was talking to had the same circumcision and the same covenant and they could have walked down in there and God would have fought the battle for them. But because they didn't trust in him, the way David did, they didn't believe that he would deliver the head of the Philistine into their hands. And the only way they saw that he could die was through somebody who was a greater warrior. And because they judged themselves to be less than Goliath, they couldn't see how anybody looking at Goliath wouldn't make the same judgment. People will think you're crazy when you look at them and say, it's not that big a deal. Because they've calculated how they can do it humanly. I know this because they said to David, Look how big his shield is. His spear is like a weaver's beam. The head of it weighs this much. His sword is this big. They're telling him all the physical reasons why what he said would happen couldn't happen because they don't see a way other than the physical that it could happen. And David's looking at him going, listen, I don't care how big his weapons are. He's mocking God. It doesn't matter what the enemy that's coming against you is. He's not coming against you. Your battle's not against flesh and blood. He's coming after the Spirit of God that's inside of you because He hates it. And He knows that if you actually discover who you were created to be and you live your life with reckless abandon and you go after Him with all of your heart, that there's going to be dead demons with heads chopped off everywhere that you go because the kingdom of God's inside of you and greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. And so He's trying His best to get you to stop believing that you really are who God said that you are. And He attacks your mind with that. And anytime you stand up and start to declare it, there will be people close to you. Most likely, it was His brothers. It's people close... You notice that like, the people that didn't know him didn't come to him and say, dude, you can't do that. Because they were probably stoked. They were probably like, hey, <laughs> I mean, be my guest. He must know something. Because we were all running that way and he was walking towards the battle. We looked at him and said, have you not seen the man? See, the only reason they could think that David wasn't running in the direction they were running is he must not know what's down in the valley. Why? Because they're looking with their natural eyes and they're assessing their abilities based on what they see in the natural. And David's running towards the battle because he understands that if God's for me, who can stand against me? And it's his family that come against him. It's the ones closest to him that say, who do you think you are? Do you notice that David never once talked about who he was? He said, my God delivered, my God shall, surely God shall, surely God will, over and over again. My God delivered the, hand, the, the lion and the bear into my hands. My God shall deliver the head of this, my God, my God. Over and over again, he talked about his God and what his God would do. But the problem was is that the people who don't understand the battle belongs to the Lord could only see the physical. And so they say to him, who do you think that you are? It doesn't matter who you think you are. It's who God says you are that matters. It's who God said that He would be for you that matters. This book, the Bible, is so full of people who could never on their own do things, doing amazing things because they actually believed that God not only could, but that He would. See, now, David could have been been really safe if you just said, well, God could. You can go anywhere and tell people what God could do and no one will argue with you. No one will say, who do you think you are? But the second you start saying, God will, 
Oh, look out. Why? Because the enemy understands that if you actually start talking about what God will do, you're walking in faith and you're actually believing to a level that's dangerous to the kingdom of darkness that you're coming against. And that's when He'll come against you. He will let you sit all day long and talk about what God could do. He'll help you. He's probably in the conversation. But I can promise you this, if you start actually believing that God is who He said and that you are who He said that you are and start declaring what God will do, watch Him come into action. Just watch. Like, He's so predictable. You can sit back and watch this stuff happen. Make a post on Facebook and declare what God will do. Something that God said that He would. And watch the people tell you that you know God's sovereign and you don't know. How would you... Listen, God's sovereignty doesn't mean that He's a liar. If He said He would, He will. trying I, I, I <sighs> you want to know who's diligently seeking him look around look at the people who are growing Look at the people who are walking in greater levels of revelation. Look at the people who have joy and peace in their lives. Look at the ones who actually walk in power and authority. I promise you that's who's diligently seeking Him. If I want to know if I'm diligently seeking Him, I just ask myself, well, I know. But if I didn't know and I was deceived, I could just ask myself, am I growing? Do I look more like Jesus? Am I actually doing the things that Jesus said that I would do if I followed Him? Or do I have this idea that I diligently seek Him until I find Him and then I'm good and I have what I need and when I die, I'll go to heaven and from now until then, I'll just continue to live my life like I did before. But at least when I die now, I know where I'm going to go. So I think that's the greatest deception in the church. Is this idea that it was about one day praying a prayer and then going back to life the way that it was, living the way that I used to live, and then one day when I die, thank God I'll go to heaven. It was never about simply being a ticket to heaven when you die. It was about you dying so that heaven could come inside of you and you could live the rest of your life walking and following after Him filled with His Spirit and seeing people set free. Why? Because He said, as the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you. What did He say He came to do? One of the things was set captives free. Do people that are around you walk in greater levels of freedom because of their relationship with you and because of the Father pouring out His Spirit in you and you pouring your love out onto them? Are people encouraged when they're around you? Do people leave your presence drained? Or do people leave your presence encouraged? Like these are real things that we should ask ourselves. Do people believe that they're capable of more than they thought they were on their own because they know you and because you speak into their lives?
you know, if the if it happened to the disciples, chances are it'll probably try to happen to us. So the disciples coming off fresh off of the time when they tried to heal, cast the demon out of the young boy that had epileptic seizures, and they couldn't. And they came to Jesus and said, why couldn't we? He said, because of your lack of faith, because of your unbelief. And I tell you, this kind only comes out through praying and fasting. We've talked about that a lot. But, but a little while later, in the same chapter of Mark, right after they get done asking him why they couldn't, and Jesus said, because of your unbelief, one of them comes to him and says, Master, we saw someone trying to cast out demons in your name, but we made him stop. No, sorry, not saw, try to. We saw someone casting demons out in your name, but we told them to stop because they were not part of us. You saw someone setting someone free from demonic oppression in the name of Jesus, but you told them to stop? They weren't one of us. No. You saw someone doing what you had just failed to do, and because you couldn't do it, rather than humbling yourself and going to them and saying, hey, I just tried that, and it didn't work, but I see you doing something And I see people being set free. And I want to be able to do the same thing. So would you teach me what you know? Tell me what you're doing. Tell me how this is happening. Because I want to walk in what you're walking in. If you would just humble themselves and went to them, but see, humility would go to them and ask that. Humility would say, listen, I need to learn from you. I'll lower myself. And, and even though you don't walk with Him like I do and you don't know Him by first name like I do, you're doing something that I know I should be doing and I'm not able to. I want you to teach me. I want to learn from you. That's humility. Pride says, stop doing that. Why? Because if you keep doing that, I have to ask myself why you can and I can't. And I would rather you stop than me have to question myself because certainly it can't be my problem. It's a good thing that doesn't happen in the church today. It's a good thing that was just a problem in Jesus' time that if people were doing things that Jesus said they would do, that people who weren't wouldn't tell them to stop and that they're not supposed to be doing that. Because you could imagine if that was happening today. If we will continue to walk in humility, when we see someone blessed, we will have the right attitude towards it rather than the wrong. If David's brothers would have humbled themselves, they would have understood that the blessing David received was a blessing for them and their generations to come and their children's children, and they would have enjoyed it rather than being angry and hateful towards him because they saw that he was blessed at their expense rather than understanding that everybody who is blessed by God is blessed at God's expense, and he has unlimited supply. And he never intended for someone to be blessed at your expense. He intended for you to be blessed through the blessing he pours out on them. And if you would just humble yourself and be able to receive it, there's so much that he has for you, and he's probably placed a lot of it in the people around you because that's the way he's always done it. And the person that you don't like may be the person that has something that God wants to show you and teach you. 
And if you would actually humble yourself and go to them and be honest with them, you would probably receive what it is that you're looking for because if you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it'll be open. And if you ask, you'll receive. But I'm telling you, jealousy and strife will tear people apart. It causes murderous thoughts to rise up in people. It always has. It always will. I'm just asking us as a body. Like, I'm just saying to this as a church family. Like, please don't give any place to that stuff. Please. If you see someone walking in something, celebrate with them. Or if it's something that you want, go to them and say, hey, I've noticed that this happens to you. How does that happen? Be humble enough to say, maybe they know something I don't. Maybe they know something that I don't know. Maybe they can teach me something. Maybe God put that in them as a gift so that they could reproduce that in other people by teaching them the way that they got it. Well, you know, God's not a respecter of persons. He's not. That means that everybody has the same opportunity to go hard after Him and to pursue Him and to knock and seek and ask. But I promise you, you still have to knock, seek, and ask. The other thing that I think keeps us from walking in greater levels of all that He has is this. I, I, I've, when I read the Bible, a lot of times I, I, have, I have this idea that anything God asks of me are principles that He operates in Himself. That He's not a dictator, leader that says do this, but would never do it Himself. I think it's the reason why Jesus humbles himself and washes the feet of the man who would dis betray him because there was a day that he would tell them that if you want to be great, you must become the servant of all. And so if he's called us into it, it's because it's the way that he operates. And so I was recently reading in, um, in the book of Matthew, and this, this has always stood out to me. Um, it's in Matthew 7. And he says... Um, do not give holy what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine or they'll trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And I, I know that you know, we've, people have taught on that and we've understood that verse to mean that, that you have to understand and give people something that they can value. But if they can't have no value for it, it's a waste of your time. Like Jesus said, go there, preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and release the kingdom of God, release your peace. And if they receive it, then stay there. But if they don't, shake the dust from your feet, move to another town. That's, that, that'll mess with your theology. If you believe that like, there's no consequence for actions and stuff like that. That God would never call us to actually leave somewhere because people's inability to receive what we have for them. But, so I, we've, we've often understood that. That, you know, just be careful and, and don't waste your time sharing something and giving something to somebody that has no value for it. Like a pig has no value for a pearl. A pig values a corn cob. So if you have corn, give them corn. You know, a lot of times we're trying to give somebody something that they're not ready for or have no value for. And they, we don't understand that what they want and what they need and where they're at, they have no value for that thing. Put it back in your pocket and wait till you meet somebody who does have value. But believe this, you probably... He didn't say, don't give them anything. He said, don't give them your pearl. 
give them corn. Paul said, I wanted to give you meat, but you weren't mature enough, so I gave you milk. He didn't say, I wanted to give you meat, but you weren't mature enough, so I shook the dust from my feet and left you. He said, I saw where you were and what you could receive, and I gave you where you were at. My, my hope and my belief is that you're going to grow to a point where I can give you the things I desire to give to you, but I'm not going to try to force you to take them because right now you have no value for them, so I give you what you need. So we understand that, but then I started thinking, well, if that's what God asks of me and that's how he asks me to operate, then he probably operates on the same level himself. And what if the thing that's keeping me from receiving more is the way that I've valued what He's already given me? Not that God calls us swine, but what if we get to decide whether or not we are? By the way we value the things that He's already given us. By the way we steward what He's already given us. By the way that we actually use what He's already given us and have value for it. What if He gave us something and we had absolutely no value for it? We received it and we put it over on the shelf and we said, oh, God gave me that. And then we walked away and we left it there and ignored it for the rest of our lives. Would, it, would you feel like that was valuable to you and that you valued it? And I believe, honestly, that God is not a respecter of persons, so He's not picking and choosing based on who people are, but He is giving based on how people can see, receive, and value the things that He wants to give. And the way that you value and steward what you've already been entrusted with, maybe that has something to do with Him value, giving you something more valuable and entrusting you with more. Because if he asked me to not give something to somebody that had no ability to value it, I promise he's probably not giving anything to people that have no ability to value it themselves. Because he's not asking me to do something that he himself isn't willing to submit himself to. It's why he became man and did what he did, because he was going to require man to walk out and do what he did. He didn't sit in heaven and say, you should do this, you should do this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He made himself for a time a little lower than angels. Why? Because he was going to ask creatures a little lower than angels to walk as he walked. And he was unwilling to ask us to do something that he wasn't first willing to do himself. He said, if you want to live, you have to die. What did he do? He came and he died so that we could live. He said, if greater love has not a man than this, that he would lay down his life for another. In other words, if you love people, the greatest thing you can do for them is lay down your life. And then he went to a cross and physically laid down his life. Why? He's never asked us to do something that he himself doesn't operate out of. So if he's asking me to, to not give things that of value to people that have no value for them, I promise you he's not giving things of value to people that have no value for them. It's why that relationship didn't work because he wouldn't let go of your hand and give it to the guy that had no value for it. Because he was unwilling to take that pearl and give it to the person that had no value for it so that it would be trampled underfoot. I don't know, you know how all of it works. I'm not sure. I don't have you know every bit of it figured out, but but I had this thought. Like, let's go after him. Hard. Like, going after him, believing that it's his grace, but also believing that he's called us in that grace to pursue him. Like believing that 
He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Believing that the greatest things in life are things that only He can give. Believing that every time we say no to something that's less than Him, we open ourselves up to be able to say yes to something that is Him. Believing that our choices really, really matter. That we don't just float through life and somehow end up where God wants us. That Paul said, I pray that you would know the will of God for your life. That you would know it. Not just live your life oblivious to the fact that His will is out there, but actually know His will and walk in His will for your life. Like just going at, like, like stirring each other up in loving good works, encouraging each other, celebrating with each other, and honoring each other, not flattering. Flattery is evil because it has agenda. I'm saying something nice to you so that you will. Think of me differently or give me something or look at me differently or show me favor. That's flattery. That's not honor. That is, a, that is disgusting. But truly honoring. Saying, listen, I've seen this in your life and I think it's awesome. Or if you feel a jealousy towards something, humbling yourself and going to that person and saying, you know what, I was tempted to be jealous. But I realize that that's God actually because it's provoking something in me and I want what you have. And I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share with me, spend time with me, point me in the right direction, show me how you learned what you learned. I want it. And I realize that the enemy wants me to feel like I don't have it because you do. But the Father wants me to say, if you have it and if I go after it, I can have it too. Like just being humble with each other. Like seriously, the whole body... Like everybody valuing who God made us to be. And I think that's one of the most important things is that we actually value who He created us to be and what He placed inside of us. Rather than sitting around looking at who we are not, we actually value who we are and then we can value other people for who they are even if it's not who we are. So we're not like the older brother when we hear someone say they're going to do something great trying to think of reasons why they can't. We're the one who comes alongside them like Jonathan's armor bearer that says, hey, do it. Go, I'm with you. Do all that's in your heart. Let's go. Like that's, I want us to just have that permission. There's no one in this room that's super spiritual. There's plenty of people who are sold out and going after them. There's no one in this room that got something because you didn't. There's plenty of people that got something because they actually knocked, seeked, asked. There's nobody that just because, well, he has this title, he has that title. Listen, it doesn't matter what title you have. There are people who are never going to set foot inside of a church to hear a pastor preach, but they go to work every day and they stand next to you and they watch your life. That's what I believe the revival that God is stirring up and is bringing forth on the earth is. It's not at a place where people come to see the great men of God. It's where the great men and women of God go out into the place where the people are and bring the kingdom of God. Because listen, if it's all about bringing them here, then our impact is only as great as our ability to gather people. I love when we gather together. I love when people are so stirred up and touched by what happens in their lives through what's going on in this church that they want to bring their friends. And I love that. And that's awesome. But listen to me. The goal of our body is not to bring people here to hear me. It's that you would go out and they would hear Jesus. And when we gather, we stir each other up in love and good works and we challenge each other and we encourage each other and we worship together and we pray for each other and we minister to each other. But it's all for the sake of going. 
so that the 6.85 days a week that you spend in the world are more productive than the one the 0.15 hour that you spend it, or day that you spend here. Horrible math. <laughs> Especially on the fly. But just listen. I'm just going to close up with this, okay? I don't need anyone to play. It's cool. Oh, sometimes I like it when someone goes up there and plays softly behind as I bring the point home. I lower my voice a little bit, <laughs> settle on in, and I bring it home and land that sucker. I'm just being truthful. Listen, our hope is not in who wins the election. Listen to me now. I am not saying do not be politically active. Be a citizen. Be an informed citizen and do your part. The whole reason that Jesus ended up being born in Bethlehem is because Mary and Joseph submitted themselves to the political system that was in place in the land that they lived. And they went to be counted and be part of a census, which was a political event. God doesn't hate politics. Vote. Be informed. But here's the point. The person that takes office next is a reflection of where our country is, not the reason for where our country is. And they cannot save our country. Can they help? Sure. But I promise you this. The reason we have people in the offices that we have is because it reflects the people that the mindsets and the beliefs of our country and it's a reflection of it listen it does not matter who the president and carl was talking about this morning he said listen nebuchadnezzar was one of the most wicked kings that ever lived but god brought a man daniel alongside of him who was submitted to god and let the king call him names that were unholy and profane because he didn't want to lose his ability to speak into that king's life and eventually that king bowed his knee and proclaimed that the god of daniel was the god of all If we get set on fire, and like we were, me and Patty were talking about this last night, you guys, like, think about it. We were just talking about all this stuff, and she said, like, God could use us. Like, literally, God could use us to literally change the country. It can start with people actually believing that there's something inside of them that's so great that they have to go out into the world and release it. It's the kingdom of God. And we can actually see things change. What if our city was known as a place that when you come there, you can't go anywhere without encountering the love of God? Think about it. Two disciples walk into a town, and the town either repents or rejects them, but they had to make a decision because they were faced with the kingdom of God. Two people, two disciples. They said these are the ones that are shaking the earth. We got more than two in here. God, I just I just pray over our, our house right now that we would reject anything that would come to try to divide us in heart. God, that we would walk in such great levels of humility and in love with each other. God, if it can't happen here, there's no chance it can happen out there. If we can't be submitted one to another in here, we will never be submitted one to another out there. If we can't be united in heart and mind and purpose in here, there's no chance we can unite ourselves in heart, mind, and purpose out there. I pray, God, that we would be so humble 
that we would never get caught up on who people aren't, but we would see who they are and we would go to them and we would actually humble ourselves and say, you know something I don't. You have something I don't. You understand something I don't. You do things that I don't, but I want to. God, I just pray above everything else that you would stir in our hearts a hunger and a passion and a desire for more of you. God, that we would just be like people who can't breathe because we need to get alone with you. God, we would have this, this, this need inside of us for more of you. An unquenchable hunger and thirst, God, for more. That we would be reading your words, spending time with you, worshiping you, praying, listening. Being alone in your presence, God. That we would value you above all things. God, that we would not be like pigs that have no value for the things you've given us, but we would be people who value what you've placed inside of us, God, that we could receive more from you. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name.